Welcome to Curito Connects. I'm your host, Jen, and I've been conversing with friends around the world about life challenges and impactful moments. Conversations on this platform look at answering the questions, how we overcome challenges and how our experiences shape who we are and the work we do today. I hope this work can inspire you on your own personal and individual journey. Let's dive right in. Hello, I have a very special guest and so, so honored to have her on the show with me today. While in quarantine in Shanghai, Maid Song, founder of Wild China, the inbound luxury travel company in China, an HBS graduate, an Aspen Institute China Fellow, Condé Nast travel expert, author, daughter, wife, and mother to three beautiful kids. Um, you know, the list keeps going, but also a longtime personal acquaintance. Hi, May. Welcome to Curio Connects. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. So just to do some short storytelling on my part, uh, I was first introduced to Wild China in May back in 2007 when I attended a Wild China excursion with a college friend, and I was blown away by the detailed service and care Wild China curated for us during this week-long trip. I admired what May was doing and how she built Wild China, that I wanted to do a summer internship with her. Uh, and since I learned at the time, May had just moved to Bethesda, Maryland, not too far from where I was going to school. Uh, I took the initiative to reach out. Uh, the internship never happened, but we did meet in person at her home in Bethesda at the time. And we remained friends over the last decade. I even visited her when they moved out to Beijing. And May has been an inspiration, not just to myself, but to the inbound travel luxury industry travel industry, and many others. On this podcast, we talk about challenges and impactful moments. And so, May, I'd like to start us off by asking you when you think back on your life thus far, and you have many, many years to go, <laughs> if you have to share with us today one specific turning point, uh, individual lessons, or whatever it may be, you know, personal or professional, that you took away that really shaped you as an individual and how you apply that to not just the wild China business you built, but also the many other ventures you do. What would you say? <laughs> well, that, that's a, that's a big question. And, um, uh, I, when, when you were asking, I was already thinking, you know, I have quite a few events to choose from, but there's always there's always one moment in one's life. Um, I don't I don't know if it's everybody's life, but in my life there was definitely this one defining moment that changed the the the, the trajectory, the course of my life. And I don't know if I told you the story before. This was more than, gosh, it was more than something <laughs> odd years ago. See. Um, <laughs> We're not it's revealing not your age sign. here. <laughs> it's not a good sign. But um, uh, this was when I f just out of college and um, very fresh. I was offered a job to teach at Yunnan University, which was the school I went to. And I thought I was too young. I haven't really learned enough. So I started freelancing, you know interpreting or teaching English, doing all sorts of odds and ends. And then there was this one day, I think I was at the uh, Kunming Hotel's front desk talking to my guests that I was working for. And a gentleman heard me speaking English. And he came up to me and said, um, 
you work here? I said, well, I freelance around here. And he said, well, my boss is coming to town and we're opening the Kruntai Bank's Kunming branch. Can you come and work for us? Just three days. And I said, sure, <laughs> give me the dates. And so, so I went and worked for them. It was uh, the biggest opening for Kruntai Bank. It's the first foreign bank in Kunming, in the entire province of Yunnan, right? The president came and there were a series of very serious high-level meetings lined up and the president was meeting the governor, etc. And I was just very young, 21, 22. And following the banker around uh, helping and the last day, I was supposed to go home. Like I was done with my job. It was the goodbye dinner. The official um, interpreters were there taking care of the official events. I said goodbye, and then they're like, "No, no, 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 Xiao Zhang, little Zhang, right? Xiao Zhang, come, come, come. You, you need to whatever you started. You need to finish the event as well. Come join us for dinner." So I went. And the president decided to give a spontaneous speech on stage. He did not have a script. The official interpreters did not want to do it because all of their speeches were scripted. And so they all pointed at me. They're like, Xiao Zhang you know, Little Zhang, she's over there. She can do it. And I had nothing to lose, right? So I'm like, okay. So I got up on stage with him, 400-something-odd people in the audience. Um, and whatever he said, I translated, and people were laughing where he made a joke. So when we finished the stepping down, he said, oh, come sit next to me. I have some questions. So he told the official interpreter to go to a different table, and I sat next to him. And he started asking me whether I wanted to work for the bank. And I said, no, I want to go to America to study. So afterwards, he said, okay, that's my the president of um, our international operations. That's the VP for scholarship, et cetera, et cetera. Let's have a meeting after dinner. I said, okay. Mm -hmm. And we gathered at the coffee shop, 9 p.m. And he said, in front of all of these high-level officials of the bank, and said, I am going to give Yunnan a present. And that present is sending you to Harvard. And I said, no, really? <laughs> and he said, yes, and you can study anything you want, um, go anywhere you want as long as you get yourself into. We'll pay for it. I started pinching myself. I'm like, no, this is not real. You understand my background was... My dad was an electrician worker, right? And we had no money, never. I would, when I started working, I was making $20 a month. A Harvard education was out of the range, way out there. So I never, I, I didn't think this was going to happen to me. It was a Cinderella dream. I would wake up at midnight and it's gone. It didn't. And the next day and over the next year, I studied and tested and um, applied. Shot for the moon. There we go. That's how I got to HBS and completely changed the course of my life. That's like, that is like a Cinderella dream. Like the, the, wow. <laughs> so I, 
do, do you still keep in touch with this um this gentleman uh, yeah, yeah the gentleman um sadly no uh, he stepped down um uh, when i graduated after i graduated and also as i was in school the opportunities opened up and i started looking at consulting and other businesses i just wasn't sure if i could do banking Right. As, as you look at me over the past 20 years, I never really touched banking, <laughs> except I put my few pennies in the bank. Right. Um, so it was a hard decision that I had to go back and I paid back the scholarship um, to, to, to have a different choice. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. Can you share with us, you know, a girl from Yunnan and you mentioned earlier your background and how you were raised and you studied really hard. You 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 took that you know you took that scholarship. You went to HBS. What was that transition like for you? You know, like arriving through the U.S. the you know the American education was it hard for, was it hard for you to adapt at the time? You know, like cult, cultural shock perhaps. Or- <laughs> um, yes, it 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 wasn't easy, but I I'm sure I wasn't alone. Uh-huh. I think all immigrants. Um, or overseas studying students, everyone went through a version of what I went through. I I don't see that as a particular challenge that was challenged to me personally, right? It's just a culture shock that everybody went through, Um, some to a larger degree, some to a lesser degree. Um, But you quickly adjust, the initial shock was like, you know, China back then is very different from now. I'm sure Chinese kids now going to America would go like, oh, this is so So backwards. They don't do online payment? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's today. Uh, or you order something online like, wow, it takes two weeks for it to get to me. That's impossible. In China, it's like tomorrow. Or but, 24 yeah. hours. <laughs> right, right. And um, But back then, I think I walked into the supermarket. I'm like, wow, there's such a huge range of milk selection. It's just milk. But <laughs> vitamin D and 1%, 2%, now fat, full fat. You know, it, it's a complete opposite of um, what kids... Are going through now but it's a culture shock regardless and at the time when I was going through I was a little bit I think I wasn't I didn't have the open mind to appreciate it and say this is very interesting that's very interesting I was a little bit like more crushed by the by the difference kind of like well another thing they do very differently oh it gets very tiring Um, but now it's very interesting after 20 something odd years I look at it if I'm throwing into a culture that is extremely uncomfortable extremely different I immediately put myself into this third person role as if I were the movie maker or the writer who's observing this experience and say look how interesting that is. And I think that attitude adjustment makes it so much more enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) That's a switch in mindset right there, right? Like when you're able to change that mindset and view everything with that ah, interesting perspective. Exactly, exactly. And I I think that's 
very important in you know in people who are adventurous who likes to see the world and experience different cultures you always have the curiosity and you you take all of these new uh big or small challenges with uh, with the sense of appreciation right yeah which is Great. basically what you do with Wild China, <laughs> which, exactly. brings, which brings me to ask. So like you said earlier, you went through you went through HBS and you you basically absorbed a lot of information, right? Exposed yourself to a lot of things when you were there. How did you at the time after graduating figure out how you wanted to position yourself uh, as a professional? Right, because you did consulting uh, before, mm-hmm. and you know, and then you decided to move back to China because you could have stayed there. Right? You know, like there were those all these choices you could have made. How did you, if you can like unfold for us, how did you kind of go from one decision mm-hmm. to the next and decide on those choices you made? Yeah, and that that's um, very interesting. You look at it that way. I I think it's almost. Always in retrospect, I can look yeah. at that as clearly a decision after decision, right? And that's how a life comes together, and that's how a business comes together. But at the time when you were in the middle of those decision making, I didn't really think about like this is going to be a decision that's going to lead to the next decision. Much more short term um, oriented. But there were a couple of things. I think number one was the the president of the Kruntai Bank, Mr. Sering. He did ask me one thing. He said, with the scholarship, your world will change, but I don't want you to stay in America. I don't want you to just you know, take a, another life, become another wealthy um, Western sort of upper middle class a suburban sort of person, right? I, I want you to come back to China. I want you to come back to Yunnan and do something. So he, he said that, and I said, sure, I don't want to stay in America. And that that always was in the back of my mind, back of my head, and thinking, no matter what I do, I orient myself somewhere towards that direction. It may take me a while to get there, but that was the general direction. And also, that's my uh, affection for the for the area for Yunnan has for China has always been there. And but immediately, immediately, you need to make some money. <laughs> you need to pay off the school loan um, because I decided to pay back the scholarship, and um, so that's a financial pressure. But also, there is a vanity of graduating from. A certain institution, people expected you to go a certain way. And naturally, all these decisions sort of steered me towards a, a path that most graduates would take, either investment banking or consulting. And um, so that's what I did immediately doing consulting. It was actually, once again, eye opening sort of career that if I had gone on for longer I probably would see the world differently as well there's no path that is right or wrong right it was just really interesting consulting we were traveling the world looking at different you know financial problems insurance companies telecom it it, 
I, I would say for any graduates, it's a great sort of generalist introduction. But it was it was the constant traveling that started different kind of traveling. You're only traveling <laughs> Monday through Thursday for business, right? And you, you you return, you're exhausted and you're working a lot. That I started saying like, what did I really want to do? Like if I had no obligations now, what did I really want to do? I was lucky enough to be in a position to have no financial burden at a very young age, right? And the one thing I wanted to do was to travel the world. And so I did that. And um, McKinsey was extremely generous with me. And they said, you don't have to quit. If you run out of money, you can come back. <laughs> I thought that was very generous. Um, but, and that's what I did. So I went back after traveling. But traveling itself gave me this sense of freedom, a way to see the world differently. And from then on, the dream of doing something on my own just... Um, sort of got planted. The seed was planted and started to sprout. Yeah, I don't want to go on monologue for too long. <laughs> you yeah, well, I, I was, I was just, you, I, you got, you caught me. I was just gonna come in, and I was just gonna ask you actually, when you, because you know, I'm just thinking back to when you said you wanted to travel the world and you did it. It kind of sounds like what a lot of young, I mean, pre-COVID, right? Like what a lot yeah. of young people were doing in the last decade, right? The whole like nomadic traveler, you know, like the wonderluster, you know, all these individuals who were traveling the world and working remotely. Um, those again, before COVID, what did you see during your, tra I mean, you know, travel for you uh, then and, and what it's like, what, well, I don't even know what it's going to look like after, <laughs> you know, it's very different landscape right now, but again, pre-COVID and then when you were doing it, uh, it was very different, right? In terms of technology availability at the time, um, the growth in, you know, hostels and like a small B and I mean, Airbnb wasn't around then either. So just kind of curious to hear from your perspective at the time for you, what was your takeaway when, when you were on the road? What did you see and what was so empowering for you that you felt you really wanted to do, you know, go into that path? I actually fundamentally don't think travel has changed that much. At least to me, the essence of travel remains the same. Um, technology is only a tool to make it easier for me. Uh, but it also, well, I, I guess if you travel differently, it would be very different. It's much more convenient, uh, right? Buying flight tickets. So all the... Um, almost like errands that you need to do to enable traveling has become a lot more convenient. Right. And all the tools to enable sharing has become a lot more convenient as well. And all the tools on the way for you to stay in contact with your family, all of that, or search for the information on Taj Mahal, uh, all of those are much more convenient. But the essence of travel, why do you travel? and uh, what you get out of travel remains the same, right? And so I often think the best times of travel, regardless of whether it's back then or now, is when you turn off your phone, <laughs> actually connect with the land, connect with the people, 
and really almost in a way you can close your eyes, listen to the sound of the wind or the waves or see the texture of the sand in the desert, the, the prickly little plant in the desert. And that, that sort of activating your senses to your place and time, that's a beauty of travel. Another thing is really connect with whoever is local there because that landscape creates a certain way of living. It creates a certain re- human relationships between human and land and also among the humans themselves. I'll take Saudi Arabia, my latest travel, for example, right? Yes. When you go there, if you just stay in Riyadh and go to the museums, it, it's it's good. I mean, you get to learn a bit about their history and all that. But it's for me, it, it was when I get to the desert. I went to Neom. I went to Alula. In the desert, you sit with the locals. They always serve you dates and coffee and everywhere you go and you just sit down and start chatting with them you sense their hospitality and their commitment to um, family strangers that very very intimate very close and warm relationship and honestly I was surprised I'm like what (laughs) this is a culture The, the warmth and the bond is shaped by the desert they were living in if you didn't have that kind of relationship, you are not going to make it in these harsh environment, mm-hmm. right? And so when I travel, I look for both the natural beauty right. in detail and the, the, the people. How do they live? And that has nothing to do with technology. Right. <laughs> that has something to do with you being there full on. So, so like you said, that, that essence what you absorbed when you traveled around the world before going back to McKinsey was really what took what took, it, that was the the seed that was planted in you and that fire that made you kind of go yeah. ah I want to be able to show the world China at right. the time right cuz that's kind right. of that was kind of like the beginnings of then you went back to China to start wild China right so China, I felt badly needed this kind of a service because tourism in China is very new. I mean, people always travel around, but not as as an industry. As an industry in modern China really started in the late 1970s when China opened up and um, like tourism regulations and things like that only came into existence in the early 1980s. This is not a long time ago. It's only 40 years ago, right? And, but for the first 20 something odd years of those 40 years, Chinese travel industry was following a success recipe from the rest of the world, which is doing tourism in scale, Right, big buses, and uh, I build all these tourist sites, and you go to the Forbidden City, you go to the Great Wall, and to me, it's like going to the museum. It's it's necessary step to learn, but it doesn't really enrich my soul. It doesn't really. It gives me extra knowledge, but yeah. it doesn't. It's the knowledge, me. but there wasn't the essence part that we you you spoke about earlier. 
Exactly. I, mean, I think both are necessary. You need to acquire the knowledge to appreciate the people, right? But it can be all of it. And so I felt touring around China on a bus, you are completely separated from the people, the culture, the warmth that I felt as a Chinese person, as uh, particularly the, that beauty of people living here, the land sharpened into focus when I returned from the West, right? I, th- this, this was the backward country that I wanted to escape, remember? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but coming back, I, I think Marcel Proust said it very well. He said, um, the real voyage of discovery lies, oh, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeing new sights, but in looking with new eyes, and I, I literally felt my Western education and international traveling gave me a set of new eyes. That that's really what I got. Right. So you, yeah, you left China with this viewpoint and then you came back with a whole other new eyes looking at this place you grew up when you call home with a totally new perspective. Right. And I, a I feel like I feel like I was looking with one set of eyes, but in a tunnel, like very narrow. And all of a sudden, all these world traveling gave me a 360 degree (laughs) eyes. Right. Um, And and so I wanted to share that vision, share what I'm seeing and I'm feeling. and, um, And it's not just me that I'm feeling this. When you sit down, that's the beauty of this ancient cultural culture, yeah. that heritage is so rich. And so I said, okay, let me find a way to somehow make it accessible. And that's how Wild China came into being. Was it hard for you at the time when you came back and wanting to do what, you know, that, that passion that you had, right? Or you still have, sorry, you know, that you wanted to share this with, with this lens, you know, and what you were trying to do, because you really, you really paved the path for uh, tourism in China. Uh, you know, oh. I mean, we all coined you for that, okay. right? Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just curious, you know, what's, and, and this is the same for any entrepreneur who's more forward thinking and really trying to do something that, that a lot of people at the time were kind of like, we have we don't understand this concept that you're trying to do. You know, like what are you trying to get at? Um, did was it hard for you at the time? I, I guess that's my question. Um, to really push this forward, right? Getting people on board to understand what you're you're trying to present here, um, and the, the business model you were trying to create. Uh, getting the locals and the the tour guys, which in our piece last year, we did a Q&A and you talked very, uh, you talked a lot about educating tour guides as, you know, which is a very essential element to your business as well. Because like you said, those are the locals in the land that gives you that whole experience as well. Uh, So yeah, I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about that. Right. I think there are three aspects to 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 your question right there there is a personal decision making of me as a managing my whole career is this the right thing to do is this a dumb thing to do uh, th- that's one two is do I have to overcome huge amount of barrier to um, 
win customers? Do I have to communicate this vision to customers, the, the buyers, right? Because it's a marketplace. And the three is, do I have to do a lot of work to convince the suppliers? Um, a marketplace has to have to both ends. Only both ends are ready. Can you have a marketplace? All right. So, so if I were to look at it in these three categories, let's talk about the marketplace establishment, and then we come to personal if you want to. Um, I was fortunate. I actually, it was a clear-minded uh, startup. It wasn't just a moment uh, of passion, a, moment, a whimsical sort of thing of the moment. I did have an opportunity um, to, to look, study the market very much in detail. And we looked at the GDP development. We looked at and the, the spending and all that. Um, and it was just clear tourism uh, was, was coming in huge wave. So the market was there and the market segmentation, the specific more sustainable, uh, because it's more sustainable back then, in order to pull it off, it would be more expensive, therefore making it high end. I didn't intend to make it high end, but it was because of what I wanted to do was expensive. Um, that niche market segment, was there was huge demand, but people didn't know that they could demand that. You see what I mean? So, so the, the users knew something was missing. They wanted this kind of experience, but they didn't know yeah. it was available. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I didn't think I have to educate the customer side. I just needed to come up and say, this is what I'm providing. And they're like, oh, finally, someone's there. It, it's, um, I don't want to compare myself to an iPhone, but it's sort of like the ease <laughs> of like not having to go through all these codes to establish my computer kind of a feeling was like, ah, someone <laughs> gave me a simpler solution. That, that sort of sense of ease. And yeah. so the market was ready. And mm. the message took roots very quickly among my user group. And turning around on the supplier side, though, that's much harder. Because the, the supply side... On A, on infrastructure, back then China was still um, lagging quite a bit. So when we go to the areas, my clients would call it, you know, the, the, the sticks. And you took us to the sticks <laughs> to sort of like really backward, sort of out there kind of places. They say this with affection. <laughs> um, but... Um, so hard infrastructure was difficult, uh, transportation, hotels and stuff. The most difficult was the guides that you just you were just alluding to. Um, it's the supplier mindset. I wanted people to tell their personal stories, to not to recite a tour, tour guide training manual. You know what I mean? And be an interpreter of the culture and nature, not to be a recorder of a written scripture. Right. That was a battle. Uh, but I think we succeeded in small ways, one at a time. Uh, so many of our guides have been with us more than 10, 15 years because of their storytelling. And also the service mindset. One thing I had to change was the industry structure. I didn't want our guides to... Um, be taking our clients to commission shops to get paid. I want them to be paid for their skills. 
And so that switch um, really turned on the guy's desire to serve and provide yeah. a better service. So those two things um, made the business model possible. Right, right. So I'm just curious, have you, has Wild China started doing um, tour guide trainings? Yes. Right. Yes, like, okay. Yeah. I, I run these <laughs> training courses. I think it was 10 hour session and there was a five hour session, but you have to take it over, you know, course of a month or something because you, you take it. It's very, um, we talk about, um, uh, hands-on training as well as theory training, theoretical training, but I don't do, um, certification. We, we, we provide training, but not certification. So anyone can sign up for it, like any anyone who wants to be a tour guide or enhance their tour guiding skills can sign up for this course. We only offer it, you know, a few times a year, so you have to look it up. I run all of this in the Wild China Academy, ah, which is a, okay. a community organization that I intend to, as a way to give back to the industry um, mm -hmm. and many other travel designers. I wanted to change the way people think. And it's, I think of the way we travel as more organic um, travel. I think of it as industrialized farming and organic farming, right? Organic travel is more nutritious. Um, however, it's difficult to scale. I just have to live with that. And so that means most of the farmers or most of the organic traveling travelers or travel businesses are small and it can get very lonely. So I want to group these um, sort of industry people and travelers who prefer this type of travel together to share whatever we learned, how to tell a story better, how to provide a service better. I wanted to create the platform where people can help each other to grow right? yeah. rather than forming a gigantic corporation <laughs> standardize our production can you really quickly just summarize the different umbrellas that you have right now because you know when i when i was a wild china customer it was just wild china there wasn't the other extensions that you've grown in the last decade as well so could you just share right. with the listeners really quickly how your organization structure works and what offerings you have besides the inbound uh, travel. Sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, so um, we have Wild China Travel itself for leisure travelers. That's what you experience yourself. It's basically for individuals, um, more in-depth uh, travel customized itineraries. Right? Um, we have Wild China Corporate which is corporate events. So we would take hundreds of people um, and as under one company and organize and creatively uh, certain events that help them to uh, achieve the goal they want to have, whether it's a creativity within the team, cooperation yeah. within, it's kind of like training, but using the landscape, a destination as the setting to do so. And we have Wild China Education, and this is more uh, for international schools, um, using, again, the landscape to achieve the goals of education. Um, then we have um, Bishan as a Chinese brand for Chinese travelers. They can do all three. 
so actually the all individual travel, uh, corporate okay. and education can all be customized in Chinese language in Bishan. Right. Uh, While China Academy is a nonprofit arm under, it does not generate the profit, and we really operate it as I was explaining to you as a community for the industry to get together. And then we do have a new experiment. This happened during COVID. Is Wild China Studio? It's a、mm. physical space.、Uh, okay. First space that we built in、um, Songyang, which is a beautiful little town with like seventy old villages around in the mountains、um, in Zhejiang, in southern Zhejiang. And there's there are lots of new architecture scattered around in the valleys or in the mountains.、Um, the reason we are there is local government is trying to experiment a new way to revitalize、um, rural area, particularly、mm. in eastern China. So we were invited to to take the space and create a center where people could come and look for travel experiences around the area. But you could also use it as a coffee shop or a gathering place for, like, a salon. You you could have talks and events in the space. It's in the old house. It's quite pretty. Yeah, yeah. You po- you posted recently. It looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we had this most amazing artistic director who 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 made it happen. And we also put together. We curate、um, art exhibits in space、oh. as well. That's、yeah. that's so fun, and so well, you get to go. You're gonna go check it out when you get out of quarantine. I will, I will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be so nice. So, okay, we're 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 coming short on time. So, I do have two last questions I wanted to ask you.、Um, one is, where do you see this? Growing for you going forward, like if you have, I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, you had you, you almost ran out of fingers when you were telling me what, <laughs> all the different things while China is doing.、Uh, you know, for you, I guess personally as well, and for the company.、Uh, and then, lastly, if you had to、um, share with our audience any words of wisdom. For those who are listening and can relate to your story or are inspired by your story, what would you say to them、um, if they are on this entrepreneur path or, you know, making these choices in life? I suppose because that's also something we talked about earlier as well, right? These different choices you make and 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 we, you know, we never think that far ahead, but it's always in hindsight when you look back how、mm. they all kind of thread together.、Um, so yeah, I leave you with these two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will answer the first one first.、Um, the answer is I don't know. <laughs> It's a very honest answer.、Um, we, like, think, we like honesty here. <laughs> It's all about yeah, being authentic and honest. Because yes, thank you.、Um, I wish I could say like I have this huge vision that I see while China getting there in twenty thirty. I would love that. I would love for Wild China to be, you know, still at the forefront, the leading, the and shaping the travel industry in China, and really, you know, guiding more and more travelers to appreciate the kind of culture and nature, the way, the same essence. When I started Wild China, I would love that. 
But I think COVID right now has thrown a huge wrench into the operation. So we are, as a lot of other travel businesses, dangling at a very dangerous time um, because we're still paying full salaries to all our staff. Um, and it's been two years. The first year, our staff were incredible. Everybody sacrificed 50% income to to survive this. But second year, we went full pay. Um, and that's a huge commitment because we want to keep the team and we see the opportunity. So it really depends on how quickly COVID uh, impact uh, decreases so that we can all somehow weather the storm. The storm's not over two years down. Yeah. And I think we'll make it. <laughs> I think so too. I think so. We, we have to, right? <laughs> we have to, exactly. We have to, yeah. That's the thing, being an entrepreneur, it's like, there, there is, in, you, you, have you played with this Chinese toy? Like, the storm can whip you left and right and you're almost like almost fallen down, but you find a way to stand up. And, and I think that's, that's who we are. So, so right now in the near future, I want us to survive this storm and then thrive. Okay. And, um, that's, so that's the first question. Now, second, um, words of wisdom. I don't really think of, I, I think, Maybe I'll share something that I keep reminding myself in case I forget. <laughs> is, well, that's, a, that's really important too. <laughs> right? Um, is it's never too late to start something. And it's also never too early to start something. Because as, as, you, as you were saying, like, oh, you've had many years of experience. And sometimes I think, okay, is that it? Like, am I moving into retirement chapter? It's never too late to start something. And when I say it's never too early is, you know, you, at a younger age, you always think like, oh, I don't have money. Oh, maybe I should wait until I'm married to do this. Or maybe I should wait until I saved a million before I can travel the world. No, it's never too early. If, the, if there are things you need to do, do it. And you won't regret it. Yeah, that, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> reminder. <laughs> and it applies to all of us, right? Like whenever you feel like there's something you want to do, just this intuitive feeling. And it could be, you know, it could be a relationship thing. It could be work thing. It could be whatever it is for you because it's, it's that intuitive feeling. And so, like you said, just do it, right? Because if you mm. don't do it, it's sometimes it's still going to be there a year, two years, three years later, it, it, you know, and so you should just do it. <laughs> it's always easier said than done, but. Right. I, I think a lot of the time for people, it's, it's like, how can I trust this feeling? What I want to do can change. Today, I want to be an artist. Tomorrow, I want to be a scholar. And the day after tomorrow, I want to be a successful entrepreneur. It changes. How can I trust? Which voice do I trust? And so, yeah. So how do, how do we know which voice to trust? <laughs> if you don't explore, you don't know. If you don't try, you don't know. But before you exactly. try, 
you, you, it is an investment of time and energy and financial as well, right? So before you do that investment, take a little time on your own. Maybe it's a week of hiking in the mountains for me. Um, you know, uh, a week of rigorously doing something. Uh, Two-week quarantine helps. <laughs> <laughs> but get into a meditative zone and think about it. Then I think the voice generally comes. That's so wonderfully said. Well, we... Um... We are on time with uh, we're, we're, we we can't keep going. Although I mean, we we could still keep going, but we have to wrap up here. So I want to thank you so much, and I will include all your links um, so people can follow you and follow Wild China and see all the different wonderful offerings you guys have. Uh, and yeah, thank you, thank you so much for your time, May. Thank you, and good luck with the rest of quarantine. <laughs> thank you, and good luck with your venture. And thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Of course. Thank all you. Right. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Curito Connects. For more Connects content, collaborations, and discoveries set to inspire you on your own individual journey, please head to our website at www.curito.co. Until next time, stay inspired and thank you for joining us at Curito Connects.